You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit gocentralchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, the way the story ends matters, right? Uh, many, many good movies or good stories have been ruined uh, by a bad ending. Now, sometimes it's endings that we expect. So uh, whenever I watch the Titanic, I know exactly how that movie is going to end, right? Uh, It ends with uh, the ship sinking. Uh, There are other movies, uh, other stories that maybe I don't quite expect. I remember the first time I watched uh, The Shawshank Redemption. I was blown away uh, by the end of the story. Uh, The end of the story matters. And uh, it's true not just whenever it's with stories, but it's also uh, with statements, Right? It's in conversation. The, the last thing that you say to someone or the, the last thing that you tell them, that you, you say that because it matters. Right? You, you leave them with an impression. And so here in the book of Ephesians, we see that is just the case. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to uh, the church at Ephesus, and uh, he's been talking about relationships between wives and husbands and uh, children and parents and slaves and masters. And so we might expect him to end uh, talking about relationships or something like that. But instead, Paul ends in a way that uh, sometimes whenever I read this letter, when I read this book, uh, it feels like it's coming out of nowhere. It almost feels like a surprise. And so as we look this morning at the end of Ephesians, verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 10 to 20, uh, we see Paul end this letter in a way that we might not be ready for, uh, but in a way that we desperately need. And so as we look at this passage this morning, uh, we're going to see this truth. Uh, the Christian life is a war we fight, not a truce we make. Uh, The Christian life is a war we fight, not a truce we make. Uh, Sometimes as we live the Christian life or we walk the Christian walk, it it feels like maybe we have just made a truce, we have just settled down, and we're just going to coast until the end, right? We're just going to coast until we get to be with Jesus. But what we see in this passage is that we have not been called to coast. Uh, We have been called uh, to fight in this war that whether we realize it or not is waging around us. So look here at Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. We'll read down to verse 20. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Ephesians chapter 6. Starting in verse 10, the Spirit says to us this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, 
that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your mercy today. Father, thank you for your grace. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us now through your word. Father, we pray that you would equip us for the war that you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage and we see that the Christian life is a a war we fight, not a truce we make, we see this first, that our battle is unseen. Our battle is unseen. Now, there's, uh, there's nothing more dangerous than a false sense of security. Uh, there's nothing more dangerous than thinking that you are safe, thinking that everything is fine, thinking that everything is going to be okay, only to have the rug pulled out from under you, uh, only to realize that you were in danger the entire time. You just didn't realize it. And so Paul here, he closes his letter to the Ephesians with a warning for us. He tells us that the Christian life is a war. Now remember who Paul is writing to. He's writing to this church at Ephesus. He's writing to the Ephesians. Now, from all that we can tell from uh, his letter to them and also uh, from uh, his words to them that we see in Acts chapter 20, uh, the church at Ephesus was by all accounts a healthy church. It was a church that he didn't write to like the Galatians. If you remember to the Galatians, Paul says, I'm astonished that you have so quickly deserted the gospel. He's not writing to the Ephesians and telling them that they have gone wrong in their theology. It's not like when he writes to the Corinthians. If you remember his words to the Corinthians, he tells the Corinthians that he can't believe the sin that they are tolerating in their church. He's not writing to the Ephesians telling them that their practice has gone wrong. No, he's writing to the Ephesians to encourage them and instruct them. And he's writing here at the end to tell them that, look, the church may be healthy, but that doesn't mean you should be comfortable. Right? The, the, the church may be healthy, but it doesn't mean that you should feel comfortable or, or that you should feel at home in this world. No, just the opposite is true, that the church is healthy, but the church is at war. Right? That, that we as believers, that, that we might be healthy in our walk with Jesus, but don't let that fool you, that that means that everything is simple. Now, there's a war waging around us, and Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to be aware of that today. So here in verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. He ends with this encouragement to trust the Lord. Now, notice what he says. He says, be strong, but he doesn't say be strong in your own strength. He doesn't say strengthen yourselves. What does he say? He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. What Paul is saying in a a nice roundabout way is to be strong in the Lord and his strength because you are weak, right? He's saying be strong in the Lord because you can't fight the battle that is waging, the, the battle that he's about to give us a picture to. And so he says, look, Before we even see the battle, before we even understand the battle, what we need to understand is that if we are going to be strong, if we are going to survive, then we've got to be strong, not in our own strength. We've got to be strong in what? In the strength of the Lord. The strength that only the Lord can give. So what does this strength look like? Well, it's strength given by the Lord. Look at verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says, put on the, the whole armor of God. This is military language immediately, right? We hear this talk of the armor of God and it's military language. We understand that. But in Paul's day, this, this idea of the whole armor of God, this was really just one word. It, it was a word used exclusively in a military function and in military discourse. And of the whole armor of God, the picture that, uh, that his audience would have had whenever he heard this was a completely equipped and well-armed soldier ready for battle. So what Paul says when he says, put on the whole armor of God, is he's, he's telling us that we need to be equipped, we need to be ready, we need to be armed, because there is a battle that is raging, and we need to be ready for the fight that we are going to have. See, what he's saying here is don't think that this is an idea of us running to the battle, but the battle has come to us. Right? The, the battle is already waging all around us. He says, be strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God because understand this. Satan, our enemy, he is crafter than us. He is stronger than us. He is smarter than us. His schemes are better than ours. So understand this, that we cannot fight him alone. And the good news is, is that we don't have to. Right? God doesn't say hey, if you start to struggle, then get the armor. Hey, let, let's go see what you can do. And then if things go bad, then come back and get the armor. No, he says, put on the whole armor of God be, because you're not strong enough to do it on your own. See, we fight with the armor of God. And when we fight with the armor of God, here's the good news. Our victory is guaranteed. And our, our victory is not a question of will we win. The question becomes how big will we win? Right? Our, our, our victory is guaranteed. And so look at verse 12. We see why this enemy is so dangerous. He writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Why is this enemy so dangerous? It's because this enemy is unseen. It's not flesh and blood. But understand this, it's still personal. Now, what, what we're tempted to do is we are tempted to give a face to the enemy, right? It's easier if we can see the enemy, and so we're tempted to make people the enemy, right? We're tempted to think, well, that's what's wrong with America. That's what's wrong with the world. If, if, if that wasn't here, if they didn't think like that, or if they didn't do that, then everything would be okay. But understand this, your enemy our enemy is not your neighbor or your coworker or your family member or someone driving down the road with a bumper sticker that you don't like. Our enemy is spiritual, right? Our enemy is unseen. Our, our enemy is one that we don't always see, but understand this, he is no less active. But, but also understand this, that just because we don't see our enemy and just because he's not flesh and blood doesn't mean that this battle isn't personal doesn't mean that the battle is out there away from us and we just get to sit back. Now, look at the way that Paul talks about the fight against this enemy. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is the only time this, uh, this word wrestle is used in the New Testament. And it really carries with it this idea of close-up, hand-to-hand combat. 
right? You can't wrestle with someone across the room. Right? That's not how it works. No, wrestling is up close. It is personal. It is hand-to-hand combat. And what Paul is, this picture he's painting here, is that we are engaged in a battle with an unseen enemy that is in our face, and oftentimes we don't even know it. Oftentimes we don't even realize it. Now in verse 12, he gives us this list right? He, he's actually going to do list twice in this passage, but verse 12, we have the first one. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And then he gives us a list of what this enemy looks like. He says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, we're tempted to read this passage and think, well, I've got to be able to identify my enemy each day. Right, so each day I'm going to wake up and I, I've got to know, and well, am I, am I wrestling against a ruler? Or am I fighting an authority or cosmic powers or spiritual forces? Right? I, I don't have time for that. Right? I'm wrestling against my kids right, in the morning whenever uh, I wake up. Paul's point here is not for us to try to figure out all right, who are these authorities and who are these rulers and these cosmic powers and all that. His point is to tell us that the battle is real and the enemy is real. See, each one of these, uh, each one of these categories has, shares something in common. They are spiritual and they are powerful. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, just because the battle is unseen doesn't mean that the enemy isn't there. Doesn't mean that the enemy isn't weak. Uh, I think that one of Satan's most successful tactics has been to make us believe that what you cannot see is not real or that what you cannot see is not important. What better way is there to, to lull us into a false sense of security than, than to get us to believe, to, to teach us, to, to make us think that if I cannot see it, then it cannot hurt me. If I cannot see it, then it is not real. That's a lie from hell. Just because we cannot see the enemy doesn't mean that the enemy can't do great damage. There's a reason that that we're taught from an early age to wash our hands before we eat. There's a reason that whenever someone sneezes in their hands, my first thought is not, I should go shake that brother's hand. That is not my first thing. Because we understand that though we can't see the germs, the germs are still there, right? Just because we can't, we can't see them and we can't feel them doesn't mean that they can't hurt us. And yet what the enemy has done because he's crafty and he, he schemes, he's made us think that what we cannot see isn't important. There's, there's two dangers whenever it comes to spiritual warfare. So there's, uh, on one side, there's the danger that just ignores it. Or, or there's the danger that says it isn't real. And, and so we, we don't have a category for spiritual warfare. But then there's the other danger that wants to make everything spiritual warfare. And, and so uh, we wake up on Sunday morning and we, we realize that the car is out of gas and we think, man, that Satan really got me, didn't he? No, you just didn't plan well, right? Like, like you, you just, you didn't get gas, right? That, that's not spiritual warfare. Uh, that's just called pay attention, right? But 
also, we shouldn't think that the reason that the hardest morning that I have of getting my kids up and getting them ready is Sunday morning. We shouldn't be so naive to believe that that might not be spiritual warfare. See, I think for us, I think the danger isn't so much thinking that spiritual warfare isn't real. I think for us, the danger is forgetting that it's there. Right, that we, we live our lives in such a way that we just act like it's not that big of a deal. That, that we live our lives in such a way that, that we think, yeah, it's out there somewhere, but it's not happening to me. When the, the truth is, is that if we had eyes to see, what, what we would realize is that there is a battle raging even now. There's a battle raging even now. But the good news is, is that even now, the Lord Jesus Christ is fighting for us. Right? Even now, the Spirit of Christ is withholding attacks from the enemy. He is protecting you and I from these attacks. So we see that, that our battle is unseen, but next we see this, our protection is unbeatable. Our protection is unbeatable. Every soldier knows the value of the right protection. No soldier wants to go into battle wondering, is this breastplate going to work? Is this helmet really going to keep me safe? Right? Did, did they get this armor from five below or is this the good stuff? Right? Is this the, the strong stuff? Right? No soldier wants to walk into battle wondering, hoping, man, I hope this is going to work, but I don't know. Right? Our, our protection is important, and what Paul shows us here is that our protection as believers is unbeatable. In, in verse 13, Paul reiterates the importance of the whole armor of God. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. He says, you've got to put on, because our battle is spiritual, you've got to put on the, the whole armor of God because that's the only kind of armor that can defend against spiritual attacks. Now notice, Paul goes through pains, right, to say we need the whole armor, the entire armor, all of the armor, not most of it. He doesn't say, look, whenever you're going through this kind of battle, then put the helmet on. And when you're going through this kind of battle, put on the breastplate. When you're going through this kind of battle, uh, put on the belt. Or he, he doesn't say, well, well, if you've got this, then you've got enough. Or if you've got that, then you've got enough. And, no, he says, you need, we need, I need the whole, the entire armor of God, not most of it. Here's the good news, is that if you are in Christ, then God has given you all of it. If you are in Christ, if you've trusted Christ to save, you've put, if you've put your hope in his death, his burial and his resurrection from the grave, then you have everything that you need to stand firm in the face of the attacks of the enemy. You have everything you need to survive and to stand firm as we're called to do. Now, he says here in verse 13, he says, therefore, take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. If you go back up and look at verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. Verse 14, he says, stand therefore. Uh, understand that 
that the primary command, the primary call of this passage is to stand. It's to stand firm. It's to stand ready. So the the reason that we need armor is to stand. To stand firm, to, to hold the line. And understand this, that standing firm, holding the line without God's armor and without God's power is impossible. And so we stand firm knowing that we have already won. Understand this, that that this spiritual battle that we face, that we fight it from victory. We fight it understanding that Jesus has already won. We fight it understanding that we're not fighting hoping that we will win. We're fighting knowing it has already been won. And that because Jesus has already defeated the enemy, we can fight with confidence knowing that we have the right man on our side. Right? Understanding that, that Satan can't, can't do anything else because Jesus has already won. Understand this, Satan is on a leash. And so our focus isn't on the dog on the leash, it's on the God who holds the leash. Right? It's that he holds it tight and that we don't have anything to worry about. That at this point... Our spiritual battle is us toying with an enemy who will be defeated. But that doesn't mean that we should underestimate his power or his craftiness or his scheming. But we can have confidence in the battle knowing that the battle has already been won. Knowing that that the battle isn't dependent on us, the battle is dependent on the God whose armor we wear. I mean, here's the good news about this armor too, it always fits. So it's not that this armor is only available to the really spiritual people. It's not that this armor is, well, if I can can get a little more mature, if I can get a little more spiritual, if I can get a little little better, then I'll know how to wield the sword. Then I'll know how to put on the helmet or the breastplate or whatever it is. No, this armor, if you belong to Jesus, it comes in your size. Because this armor is for those who belong to Jesus. And so we have a real and we have an active enemy, but we have an enemy that had already been defeated and we have a protection that always works and a protection that is unbeatable. And so he gives us this armor imagery, but, but we wanna be careful here, just like with the, the list of uh, spiritual enemies, we wanna be careful that we don't read too much into each individual piece of the armor because what's important here is not the armor itself. The armor that Paul talks about here is a picture of a spiritual reality. So, so the point is the, the spiritual reality is the spiritual thing, not the, not the armor itself. The significance is what the armor is pointing us to. And this idea of armor, this, this isn't new to Paul. He didn't come up with this. If you were to look at Isaiah chapter 11 or Isaiah chapter 59, you would see where Paul's actually borrowing this imagery of armor from Isaiah. Now, what's interesting is that in Isaiah, this armor imagery isn't for Israel. It's for the Messiah. So what Paul's doing here is he's saying that armor that belongs to the Messiah has been given to you. That if you're in Christ, that, that armor now belongs to you. So verse 14, he he gives us this call to stand once more. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so first, 
We see the, the first picture of this armor, that we're not defenseless. We, we have armor, and the first piece he talks about is the belt of truth. Now, notice here, he, he says, having fastened on the belt of truth, that having fastened on, what he's saying here is that we must be ready to engage in the battle. And what is the truth that this belt is? Well, it's that God is God, and he will win, right? All God does is win. That's all he does. He's never lost a battle. He's never been close to it. God always and only ever wins. But next he says, to put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, our defense is not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's not that we have been so good, but it's that Christ has been perfect in our place. And this is so key. It's so important to understanding how to stand firm in the face of an attack. Because understand that, that Satan, he he's, gets this title in the scriptures that he is the accuser of the brethren. He, he's the accuser of the, the brothers and the sisters. So uh, Satan's attack, the way that Satan attacks best is by saying that God couldn't love you because of what you've done. It's by saying that you aren't worthy of God's love, that he knows what you thought about. He knows what you did. He knows what you have done. God could never love you. And here's the thing about Satan's attacks. He's telling the truth. But he's only telling part of the truth. And half of the truth is a whole lie. See, it's true that our sin is enough to separate us from a holy God. It's true that our sin is enough to disqualify us from God's love. It's true that our sin deserves hell. But the good news is, is that Jesus has made a way. Right? The good news is, is that Jesus has lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, and he's died in our place, and he was buried, and he, he rose from the grave. He defeated sin and he defeated death. And now if we trust in him, then we get his righteousness. We, we are clothed in, in his perfection. And so when Satan starts attacking, when he starts whispering in your ear that God couldn't love you, that God wouldn't love you, that, that we, because of what you just did, God won't love you anymore. What we can remind Satan of is that God doesn't love me because of me. God loves me because of Jesus. That my protection isn't how good I can be. My protection is what Jesus has done. And so we put on the breastplate of righteousness, understanding that Satan, you can try to attack me. You can try to tell me how bad I am. And all I will say is amen. Because Jesus is better. Because Jesus has washed me clean. Jesus has saved me. Jesus has forgiven me. And so now, Satan, I'm safe because I'm with Jesus. Right? I had some friends growing up, and they were bigger than me. And I used to tell them, like, man, we can start some junk, but I'm getting behind you. Right? Uh, because I've got the big guys with me. Uh, understand right, that, that we've got Jesus. Right? We have him. And Satan can't do anything else. Verse 15, he says, and as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In other words, always be ready to proclaim the good news that brings peace between us and God. 
In verse 16, he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So our shield is confident trust in God, but, but notice this. Notice how the enemy attacks. Flaming darts. That's a picture here of he's not just seeking to inflict pain, he's seeking to destroy. Right, that, that a flaming dart, what it would do is it would pierce through the armor of a typical soldier. It, it, it would pierce through whatever it was aimed at, but it wouldn't stop at just inflicting pain. It, it would light everything on fire. So that's what Satan does. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. And so here Paul says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Have confidence, confident trust in God, knowing that he can extinguish whatever, whatever attack the enemy throws at you. In verse 17, he talks about the helmet. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. This is where we find our ultimate protection and what we have already been given, grace and salvation. So he's saying that if we want to be protected, then we apply our salvation to our hearts. We apply our salvation to our lives. And then there's a, a final piece here. In verse 17, he says, in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then there at the beginning of verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This uh, final piece, it's the only offensive piece mentioned thus far. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's, it's Scripture. It's the Bible. We fight not with our words, but with God's word. Amen. Our confidence isn't in our skill and what we can do, but it's in our dependence on God. See, get this, that the more dependent you are on God, the safer you are against the attacks. The, the more hidden you are in Christ, the, the safer you are from the attacks of the enemy. See, what makes this armor effective isn't that we know how to wear it and wield it. What makes this armor effective is that God gives it and he guarantees it. But he, he gives it to us and he doesn't say this should work or I hope this will work. He says this does work. This is the secret. Uh, this is the way that you stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. And so we see that our battle is unseen and our protection is unbeatable. Finally, we see this, that our weapons are unmatched. Our weapons are unmatched. It, it's hard to fight without weapons. My boys like to wrestle and they like to fight. And from time to time, uh, they'll come running into the room wherever I am with their Nerf guns. And they'll, they'll shoot me. And when I call timeout because I'm unarmed, it doesn't matter. Right? Uh, my defeat is guaranteed. Because we understand that success in the battle depends on armor and weapons. It depends on defense and offense. Now, he's already said that part of the armor is the word of God, but it's not our only weapon. In fact, Paul ends this passage with a call to arms. L look at the end of verse 18. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So he calls us to take up both the sword and prayer. Then here he, he shows us what to pray and how to pray. 
Understand that the weapon is the word and prayer. But prayer isn't what we do before we fight. Prayer is how we fight. Sometimes we think of prayer is what we do before the good stuff actually starts. Right, that I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna pray and then I'm going to work. But we need to understand this, that prayer is the fight. One of the things we say around here regularly is that we don't pray before the work, the prayer is the work. Right, that unless we pray, the work doesn't happen. That prayer is where we find our power because we have to fight in a posture of depending on God. And he, he says here in verse 18, he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, be on the lookout at all times because the devil is always ready to attack. This is why he says earlier in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit. We pray at all times because Satan is always working. Satan is always attacking. And so he, he says, keep alert with perseverance. Perseverance is this idea of persistence. It's this idea that you, you never stop looking for where the problem may come. The, the closest thing that I have experienced to this is a Little League baseball game. Uh, if you have ever been to a, a Little League baseball game, then you understand this, that these kids can't hit the ball but about 10 feet in front of them, but they can hit it 450 feet over the fence behind them. Right? They can foul off, and so you understand that there are places that you don't park because if you park there, uh, your windshield's gonna get shattered, or, or you're, you don't sit there because if you sit there, you're gonna get hit by a ball. And so you spend much time at one of these games, and you almost get numb to hearing the same thing over and over again. Heads up! Heads up, heads up, foul ball, heads up. And so you're constantly wondering, right, where are my kids? Where, uh, where's the ball coming from? What's happening? Uh, growing up, they used to say, keep your head on a swivel. You've always gotta be ready to see where is the ball gonna come from? We might think of it like this, and we've gotta keep our head on a swivel because we've always gotta look for where is the attack going to come from next? Because understand this, the question is not, will you be attacked? The question is how? The question is, when will you be attacked? Like a foul ball, you don't know when, but Satan is always ready. And so we might expect to find here then Paul to say, hey, keep praying for yourself that you'd have strength. Keep, keep praying for yourself that you would be faithful. Keep, keep praying for yourself that you can do it. But that's not what he says, is it? He says to pray, but, but look at who he says to pray for. He says to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication, that's an urgent request. Making supplication for all the saints. We urgently pray for one another. We pray for others generally, but then we also pray for others specifically because understand this, we urgently need each other's prayers. This is why we put such a premium on small groups here at Central. We make a big deal about everyone being engaged in a small group so that people know how to pray for you and so that you know how to pray for other people. See, outside of, of being engaged in a, a group of believers following Jesus together, it's gonna be really hard for people to pray for you. It's gonna be really hard for the, the church to come together and to know how to pray and know what to pray and know when to pray. One of the things I love is on Monday and Tuesday every week, uh, my inbox starts getting filled up with emails from our small groups. 
And they've added my email address to their, uh, their email list. And they send out prayer requests that were mentioned on Sunday morning. Or I'll get emails through the week from small group leaders emailing their small groups saying, hey, pray for so-and-so. They're not doing well. Or, or pray for so-and-so. They're, they're dealing with this. Or, or pray for him. This is happening. Or, or pray for them. Uh, pray, for, pray for this couple because uh, this is happening in their life. See, if you want people praying for you, then they have to know you. But notice that Paul doesn't say, hey, go and find people to pray for you. He says, go and find people to pray for. Right, that the way that we fight, our weapon is offensive. Right, we pray for brothers and sisters to stand strong in the face of attack. Verses 19 and 20, we see another kind of weapon. He says, and pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul was in prison at this point for preaching the gospel that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He, he asked the Ephesians to pray for him to, to give him boldness to proclaim the gospel. See, this is the reason Satan attacks. Satan attacks, Satan persecutes to quiet the gospel, to mute the gospel. See, persecution ultimately is not most damaging physical. Persecution is first and foremost spiritual. And the persecution is all about keeping the gospel quiet. But what Satan fails to understand is that what Tertullian said is true, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so the harder Satan presses, the stronger the church grows the better the church gets. See, preaching the gospel is a weapon that attacks in two ways. First, it attacks because it, it reminds us of the gospel. That when we share the gospel with people, first and foremost, we're sharing the gospel with ourselves. But first and foremost, we are, we are being reminded of the gospel. But there's a second way that preaching the gospel attacks. And that's as we share, we do so with confidence that people will believe and the kingdom will expand. And as the kingdom will expand, Satan will see that his time is short. See, when the gospel is preached, hell is persecuted. When the gospel is preached, Satan is reminded that he is not in control. But God is in control. See, this is how we, this is how we fight this war. The Christian life, it's a, it's a war we fight. It's not a truce we make. And here, here's what we need to understand. The key to success, the key to victory is not in focusing on how crafty our enemy is. The key to victory is understanding how great our God is. The key to victory is not focusing on the enemy. The key to victory is focusing on how great God is and understanding that because he's great and because he's strong and because he's powerful, we don't have anything to worry about. That is, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted him to save you. Because see, in the gospel, what God has shown is that he won't stop at anything. He won't stop for anything short of our life and protection. And how do we know this? Because he sacrificed 
his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. In our place, that Jesus was innocent and we were guilty. And yet what God said on the cross is that though you are guilty, my perfect son will take your punishment. And that because he takes the punishment that you deserve and because he defeats sin and he defeats death, we can have salvation. We can have life eternal. We can be freed and forgiven and we can have nothing to worry about. And so if you've never trusted Christ to save you, well then the, the war starts there. Right? The, the war starts... Now, understand that there is a war waging for your soul. And understand that even now, Jesus Christ is inviting you to trust in Him to experience life and forgiveness and freedom that only He can give. See, apart from Jesus, we all deserve death and hell. But because of Jesus, we get life and forgiveness. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. As we sing, our next steps team will be down front to, to talk with you and pray with you. Maybe say, hey, I need to trust in Christ. Maybe, maybe today is the day that you need to trust in Christ. Or maybe you just need someone to pray with you to encourage you, to help you stand firm in the day of attack. Our, our next steps team will be down front to do just that. But let me pray for you now. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, I pray that, that you would strengthen us to stand firm. Father, that you would help us to see the armor that you have provided for us, the armor that you have given to us. And Father, I, I pray that we would put on that whole armor. And Father, I pray for those who have yet to trust you, have yet to put their faith in you. Father, I pray that today would be the day. Father, save them even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.